Welcome, all you blokes and chillers, to the Sport Shack from the Gold Coast, Australia. In the Sport Shack this week, we're going to talk about some of the sporting topics of the week and go back in time and some of our favourite sporting memories from the past as well as the news and events, music and film, and lots more. And all from and with our great mate, Paul Tonner. We acknowledge the Ugambe people, past and present. The traditional custodians of this land, of the Gold Coast, we thank the Yogambe people for the opportunities to do this podcast on their land. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Sports Shack. I hope you are well and have had a great sporting week. Hi Glenn. Hey Paul. How you going? Oh, it could be better. Yeah. Suffering from golf as well, but and I don't even play golf. Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> been a roller coaster ride with bloody pain and up and down. I've been trying everything. Even yeah. had, even had ac- acupuncture. Yeah. Is it because I had it once and it's right on the right. on the ball of the elbow around that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of just in there. But yeah, yeah, that's right. No, it's um. It's been painful. Mm. I've had injections and then I went to tried um tried acupuncture. Yep. And at first I was really nervous. But then after a while I could I could I could feel what like where they put the knee needles in, I could feel the like the joint that the part of the what the needle was pushing on, going up, you know, expanding and contracting. Mm. But, uh, and then I found myself to be really calm. Oh, okay. So I'm going to get, once I get over this, um, uh, golfer's elbow, um, I'm going to go back and try it on my neck. Mm. Those pain pods, um, I found were very helpful when I did tennis elbow, recovering from that. Yeah. yeah, no, they're quite good, but just from golfer's elbow, yeah, that one wasn't from playing golf, it was yeah. gardening. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those annoying overuse injuries. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, there was big news during the week. Looks like cricket will be coming back into the Olympic Games in yeah. 2028. Yeah. The first time... That in over 120 years since Paris in 1900. Yeah. And there was only two teams that competed then, Great yeah. Britain and France. Yeah. And the the French team was pretty much made up of uh, British players. <laughs> yeah. So it's come a long way, but, oh, boy, what a big slap. <laughs> oh, yeah. the, uh, the men's cricket team, the Aussie men's cricket team at the moment. They may as well pack their bags and come home. Absolutely. Who is going to get a slap and who is going to get a clap for this week? I'll get the slaps out of the way. Because, yeah, our men's sporting teams are going like an absolute bustard. And I just think, you know, I was thinking today, like, you know, in 1999, what a year that was. We won the Rugby World Cup. We won the Cricket World Cup. We're on top of the world. Yeah. 
And then now we just cannot beat Tom with <laughs> just a took, stick. Took a dive since then. Oh, it's just just shocking. Yeah. You know? Yeah, just, uh, yeah. Oh. Makes you weep, honestly. Just to see, especially with the rugby, just how far we've declined. And, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Eddie Jones, gosh, that was one of the most stupid. It's a shame we didn't. We did an episode earlier, early on, about decisions that came back to bite. And that was one that came back to crunch Australian rugby when they appointed Eddie Jones as coach. Huge mistake. But my other slaps, and especially in regards to what's been going on, all the tragedy that's happened in the Middle East this week, Sonny Bill Williams, the great... uh, Rugby and rugby league player, and his comments that yeah. he made supporting Hamas. Yeah, yeah, that they were justified basically in what they were doing, and yeah. you know, fair enough, he's a Muslim, but you don't go saying, you know, quotes talking out openly like that. Yeah, just the that if we said something against them, we'd be in trouble. Oh yeah. But Josh Adokar, he's another goose, you know, coming out and supporting the, uh, yeah, Hamas and what they've done and how it relates strongly to what goes on with the Indigenous Australians. and Yeah. Yeah, just needs to button his mouth and you've got nothing to do with it, mate. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, we'll go to the claps now and a huge clap. Oh, we haven't got my slap yet. Oh, Yep. What's your slate? Microsoft. Yeah. I've now got two paying for two versions of my, one is Microsoft Personal. Yeah. And the other one is Microsoft Family. Oh, gee. Even though they're but but I wanted to cancel one of them. I wanted to cancel the 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 mm. first one I got. Even though it gets paid by pay through my PayPal account. Mm. And I've got the receipt there. They said, oh, there's no trace of it on their system. Yeah, they don't make it easy for you, do they? No. Yeah. No, they're buckers, they are. Yeah. Mm. No, yeah, yeah. even though it's wrong to bloody use a a copyrighted copy of a program, it's it's still when people are doing the right thing. Yeah. And you're trying to communicate them. Some ballot that's just oh, hmm. I'm sure they know it's there. Oh, of course they but do. But they've given me this number, and I've got to go back from the bank and hmm. get them sorted out. Uh, oh, gee, yeah, as if you got time to be stuffing around doing all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah they won't take responsibility, will they? Uh, yeah, you got a clap. Clap. <laughs> Will you go first? Yeah, well, Ange Postacoglu, the Aussie football manager. And, yeah, he's on top of the English Premier League at the moment with Tottenham. He took over the reins the start of this uh, EPL season. And Tottenham haven't lost a game yet. They're on top of the the table. Yeah. Yeah. They lost their star player, Harry Kane, just... Just before the season started, so that's a 
Herculean performance. That's our <laughs> topic today. Yep, Herculean sporting performances. But here's one, Jason Fraser McGurk. Now, he's a, uh, he's a cricketer, right? He plays for South Australia. He's a young fella. He's only about 19, 20 years of age. Yeah. Now, in a one-day domestic game against Tasmania, this was last well, it was last weekend. Now he scored the fastest century in professional cricket history. A yeah. hundred runs of twenty-nine balls <laughs> for South Australia. And guess what? Yeah. They lost. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, because Tasmania batted first. They got about four hundred and thirty or something. Yeah. yeah. So he's gone out and opened and just gone for the big tonk straight away, yeah. and which he had to do, you know, chasing yeah. that huge total. Yeah. yeah, so definitely be hearing more about him in years to come. Jeez, I could do with him over in India right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I reckon that performance, that record World Cup loss against South Africa the other day, I reckon that was, some are saying, like our worst ever performance, like yeah. just the fielding, everything, you know. Yeah. It was just, it was... Yeah, just a shit show. Part of my French. Yeah. Now, uh, Shane Van Gisberg. Yeah. So he's a uh, he won Bathurst. Yeah, yeah back to back years with Richie Stan Stanaway. Did you watch any of the the Bathurst one thousand? No, no. Yeah. Well, he's won back to back titles. And but he's going to NASCARs in America now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So good luck to him for that. But congratulations on another Bathurst victory yeah. to both of them. Yeah. And Kevin Kiptum, he's a marathon runner, Kenyan marathon runner. Now he broke the world record. Now get ready for this by thirty-four seconds in two hours. Yeah, it was just over. Two hours. I think it was like two hours and 35 seconds he yeah. did it. So he broke that record by 34 seconds. Wow. So that's travelling. Uh. If you do your maths, that's he's running around 45 kilometres an hour. <laughs> oh. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. That was at the Chicago Marathon. I wonder how many hills there were in that. Yeah. Still a Herculean performance. <laughs> now, Oscar Piastri, he came second in the the last Formula One race. So he's had two podium finishes now. I, I thought he'd actually won it, but no, he actually won a, one of the um, practice events. Yeah. yeah, so he came third and he's, he's come third and then second. So hopefully he's the next Formula One. Yep, he'll get he'll get first place. So Bathurst was last weekend, wasn't it? Yeah. So yep. same weekend as the grand final. No, it's um, it's normally the weekend after the grand final. Wasn't the grand final last week? No, that was two weeks ago. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. It seems like last weekend, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. No, well, look at this Pacific Championships on now. That's starting tonight. They're playing uh, Australia's playing Samoa. Yeah, but no, it's quarterfinals time in the Rugby World Cup. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so you've got um, 
It's a shame because you've got some of the best teams, like your, your big heavyweights like South Africa and uh, France. I think they're playing each other in the um, quarterfinal. Um, and then uh, New Zealand are playing uh, England, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's just a shame how they've done the draw. Yeah, because those teams, they shouldn't be playing each other in a quarterfinal. Actually, no, England play Fiji. They've got the easy side. Portugal beat Fiji. (laughs) (laughs) But the Wallabies, they're a huge slap because they hung around for a week to see if Portugal beat Fiji. And they did, but they needed to beat them by more than eight points or something. Yeah. Anyway, we'll move on to our topic for today. So... The recent NRL Grand Final will go down as one for the ages. Not just will it be remembered for Penrith staging the greatest comeback in Grand Final history, but also for their star playmaker and halfback Nathan Cleary's 18 minutes of sheer brilliance to individually get the Panthers back into the game after being down 24 points to eight. He scored a brilliant individual try, minutes from full time to seal their third premiership victory in a row. All doing this despite battling a serious knee injury, which appeared to hamper his performance, especially his kicking game. And yes, that was until those final 18 minutes of brilliance. Yeah, so it's what Paul would say, a Herculean performance. <laughs> I should have a count at the count of how many times you say that word. Yeah. <laughs> well, another Herculean performance, <laughs> and I've mentioned this one, Dean Jones's 210 runs against India in the famous Tide Test in Madras in 1986. <laughs> now, when, when Australia played India there last weekend, they've actually you know, demolished the whole stadium, rebuilt it, because it gets so hot there. They've built it in a way where the stands, you've got space to allow the breeze. breeze. Because there's a a beach not far from there. It's a very scenic ground. Um, But it wasn't very scenic in those days. Like, because apparently in in, uh, Bombay, there's three types of weather, hot, hotter, or hottest. Yeah, and um, that day in 1986 when Dean Jones got the, all those runs, it was at its hottest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was regarded by many as one of the greatest and most courageous innings in Australian Test cricket history. The conditions during the game were so hot that the team didn't even warm up. Now, Australia batted first, and in his third Test match, Jones went on to score his maiden test century in oppressive conditions. So it was around, it was 40-odd degrees and 80% humidity. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And Steve Waugh, he even said that today they probably wouldn't play in those conditions. Yeah. They'd probably call it off and just say, no, it's not safe enough. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah, so Australia batted first. Yeah, but no, that was his maiden test century. Now, when he reached 130, his body was beginning to go into meltdown. So what was happening, his body was starting to cramp up. Yeah, yeah. and he, became, he began vomiting frequently on the field. 
was experiencing involuntary urination and his body, yeah, so he's just cramping all up. He's losing function, you know, his bodily functions. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, yeah, teammates had to take off all his equipment for him whenever he came in during the breaks. They all had assigned roles. Yeah. And uh, they put him under a cold shower to try and get his body temperature down. And at the end of his memorable knock, Jones was put in a bath full of ice and then he just collapsed apparently and was rushed to hospital. And then Jones would talk about how he never recalled anything about that long innings for years. And, yeah, for years and years he would struggle... um, just with his body with re- on really hot days, like his body would start to shake. And, yeah. yeah, sadly he passed away from a heart attack just in 2020 at 59 years of age. Yeah, yeah but apparently when he got to the hospital, because you know how cricket mad they are in India, yeah. yeah, there was this guy there in the gurney beside him and he was in the worst shape ever, you know, he'd broken just about every bone in his body. He was just a mangled mess. He'd been hit by a bus or something. Yeah. And all these all these uh, doctors and nurses, they've left this poor bugger and they've seen Dean Jones come in and they've all gone to attend him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, Dean Jones, Dean Jones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dean Jones felt sorry for this other bloke because yeah, he was in far worse off. Yeah, but no, there's also uh, Michael Holding when he was bowling to uh, English veteran batsman Brian Close. Yeah, bowling all those thunderbolts. I've put it on the Facebook page, and he's just like taking these are this are, these are the days just before helmets came in. Oh, he's just copping every ball on his body, and. Um, yeah, at the end of it, they they show a photo of him in the paper and he's got bruises all the way down his body. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's what we're going to do today. Yeah, we're going to look back and discuss some of the courageous or Herculean sporting performances from over the years. So those sports people who during their, their uh, performance either sustained or played through serious injury to go on, and put in a memorable performance. So, Glenn, when you think of courageous sporting performances, what comes to mind? Well, I've, I've got a couple of which is um, Mick Dillon, actually. Oh, yeah. He, he, he came off and broke, broke a few bones. Mm. But then um, the next race, they actually trained him onto the bike. He won the race and they, they stopped and they craned him off the bike and he took him back to hospital. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when we spoke about him on that, where are they, when he was on Where Are They Now, he was close to winning his first major tight, uh, uh, first championship. Uh, and then he had that shocking fall. Was it Aspen or? Yeah, yeah not quite sure. But, mm, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Aspen and yeah. he nearly had his leg amputated. Yeah. And then he's come back and <laughs> I think he, he completed that season. Yeah. Um, and then it was the, not the next year, the year after, he won about, oh, gosh, five or six championships in a row. Yeah. 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 And the, uh, also um, Laura Parker. 
Oh, yep. It was a, um, yeah, she was a, a female triathlete, triathlete, and mm. um, during the the bike, the bike lead of the Port Macquarie Iron Australian Ironman, um, yeah, had a bad accident and lost the use of her legs. I'm pretty sure I know the spots because mm. they used to, uh, the bikes used to run down this road called Houston Mitchell, and it's a, it's it's rough, it's bloody rough as guts, and I reckon just come off and hit the, yeah, there's potholes everywhere, and um, and I think she's hit one of the steel barriers. Oh, jeez. And since then, they, they don't run, they don't use that road. Mm. And, just and, too dangerous, yeah, eh? But it shouldn't have been added in in the first place. Yeah. It's the worst, well, it's one of the worst roads in the Port Macquarie area. But yeah, yeah after losing her um, use of legs in the triathlon, 11 months later, she's here on the Gold Coast for the. Um, the 2018. Oh, the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, Commonwealth yeah. Games. Yeah. It's amazing. And one, it? well, she won bronze in that. Jeez. And then, um, yeah, and, and she's still doing the, um, the, the competing as a female tri- triathlete. Yeah, they're doing this, the, the swims, they're, they're strapping floaties on her legs mm. to keep her afloat while she swims. Gosh. Yeah, so she's just powering on. Very inspiring to a lot of other people. Incredible courage. Yeah. 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 Anyone else come to mind? Or? Uh, no, not, not at the moment. Yeah, ones that come to mind for me, like just some, some ones we've spoken about previous episodes, like we spoke about South Sydney Rabbitoh and he sadly passed away earlier this year uh legend john sattler when he broke his jaw in that 1970 grand final and <laughs> continued playing <laughs> played through the grand final and and then uh sam burgess another south sydney legend and he broke his cheekbone from that first tackle in the game in the 2014 grand final and went on to stay on the field and pick up the clive churchill medal for best player of the game yeah, and Grant Hackett, the great Aussie 1,500-metre swimmer, yeah, when he retained that Olympic freestyle gold medal at the 2004 Olympics, despite having a partially collapsed lung. Yeah. And Ryan Harris, when he bowled Australia to victory against South Africa in 2014, despite basically bowling on one leg with a serious knee injury. So he's... His um, knee was so bad, apparently it was just bone on bone, and yeah. he just kept playing. He had yeah. such a high threshold for pain. Yeah. yeah. And former Where Are They Now, Rick McCosker, when he had his in that centenary test, when he he um, had his jaw broken by that Bob Willis bouncer, and then yeah. he came back, came back and, uh, in the second innings for Australia and put on some valuable runs with, I think it was Rod Marsh, and had his uh, head bandaged up, his jaw <laughs> held together. 
Yeah. And the crowd's all singing Waltz and Makoska. Yeah. Now, we've got going right back to this guy, to the 1932-33 Bodyline series. Now, he's a former English cricketer. His name's Eddie Painter. Now, when he was taken to hospital during the game, suffering from tonsillitis, and then he, he left his hospital bed after England was in trouble, and then he, he came onto the field in really hot conditions in Brisbane, hit 83 runs, helping England to a good lead, and then returned for the second second innings to hit the winning runs. Yeah, I remember that body line. Did you ever watch that body line miniseries? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah they show it in that. Yeah, yeah, it was really good how they did it. Yeah, and Cooper Cronk, when he played with that broken scapula and helped guide the Sydney Roosters to victory in the 2018 NRL Grand Final. He, he broke that scapula in the, the game before. And, you know, the whole week they were basically saying, oh, he's no chance of playing. And then it was revealed just before kickoff that he was going to going to play. Yeah. yeah. So basically, he went on there and sort of stayed off the ball, but guided his team around the paddock. And yeah. Yeah. One of just a masterful piece of coaching there by Trent Robinson. Um. Now the nineteen eighty nine Queensland State of Origin team game two in Sydney when they won the game despite being decimated by injuries during the game. And I remember Bob Lidner, he played on with a fractured ankle. <laughs> I think like they were down to like 11 players at one time. That was a game when Wally Lewis scored that great individual try and won the game for them. And, yeah, this is uh, yeah, the New South Wales crowd. They just hated Wally Lewis with a passion, you know, that uh, Wally the, Wally's a wanker. And, <laughs> but when Queensland went off the field at the end of the game, the whole crowd stood up and applauded them for their courage. <laughs> yeah. And Wally Lewis got his teammates around and said, lap this up, guys, because you're not going to see this happen ever again. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, oh, Trevor Gilmister in that 1995 State of Origin Game 3. Yeah, they'd already won the series. But he was their captain and he had a serious infection in his leg and had been in hospital all week. And on the eve of the kickoff, he just got out of hospital and... Went on, took the field. Yeah. yeah. Helped them win, get get a clean sweep. And Tiger Woods winning the 2008 US Open despite um, still recovering from arthroscopic knee surgery. And he was just, you know, obviously in at the time in excruciating pain because whenever he'd, he'd hit a drive, you know, he was in agony and... So, you know, some other golfers thought, oh, you know, he was just putting it all on. But, yeah, after that, he had to have, like, a lot of time away from the tour for reconstructive knee surgery yeah. and take the rest of the season off. Yeah. yeah. And then you got the great West Indian fast bowler, Malcolm Marshall. Yeah, this is back in 1984. Like, he, um, when he was fielding, he fractured his thumb in two places. So he got his whole arm bandaged up. Oh, it was it was in plaster actually. This is in the middle of a test match. Yeah. Goes on and bats with one hand, <laughs> scores some valuable runs. Yeah. Helps Larry Games get his hundred, 
And then he goes on and bowls and gets seven wickets for 53. Yeah. Bowls the West Indies to victory. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Rightio. I'll go get Miss Olivia. She's going to come and do the quiz. Okay. <laughs> It's quiz time. Here she comes. Peter Pat, Peter Pat, Peter Pat. Hi. Hi, Olivia. Hey. Good. What's been happening? Incredibly riveting. I'm making like these little little flashcards. I didn't realize how much I need to memorize. I have like 17 flashcards. Uh, mm. uh, what are you eating? <laughs> Protein balls and cacao. Drinking cacao. <laughs> mm. Lovely. Okay. Mid afternoon snack. Alrighty, mm. eh? what have we got this week? Um. We've got. They're all multiple choice. Okay. Yeah. Other ones? Uh, five questions. Other ones with ticks next to them, the right ones? Oh, yeah, no. Why are they ticked? Because <laughs> that was for something else. You don't have to worry about that bit. Okay. Mm. Question one, then. With less than 15 minutes to go in the 1956 FA Cup final, goalkeeper Bert Trotman suffered a heavy collision and broke several vertebrae in his neck. However, stayed in the game and performed two more saves, helping his side win. What famous club did he play for? Was it A, Liverpool, B, Chelsea, or C, Manchester City? The answer is C, Manchester City. Question number two. What is the name of the former American quarterback who showed true grit and determination and played on with a torn ACL injury for the Los Angeles Chargers in a crucial 2008 divisional game? Is it A, Philip Rivers, B, Jeff Garcia, or C, Chad Pennington? The answer is A, Philip Philip Rivers. Do you know what an ACL injury is, Libby? Um, Not off the top of my head. Stands for anterior cruciate ligament. That sounds incredibly painful. Mm. When you do it, yeah, you're out of action for about a year. But you kept playing with that. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. After, oh yeah. Here it is. After... Arthroscopic. Arthroscopic, thank you. Um, Surgery after the game, he then played through the next crucial game, then needed an extensive operation. Mm. Question number three. Which famous basketball player was bedridden 24 hours prior to game five of the 1997 NBA NBA finals? I can't speak. With food poisoning and severe severe flu-like symptoms. However, took to the court and put in a memorable, um, put in a memorable performance, scoring thirty-eight points, and helped lead his team to victory. 
Was it A, Scotty Pippen, B, Michael Jordan, or C, Karl Malone? The answer is Michael Jordan. Mm. Question number 88. Oh, (laughs) he sunk a three-point shot to win the game for the Chicago Bulls over the Utah Jazz, 90 to 88. Question number four. You guys keep saying that. I can hear from like the other room. You're like, this is a Herculean act. And I'm like, okay. He's the one that's been saying it. <laughs> what are we up to? That's why we're going to have a special Herculean episode. Herculean episode. <laughs> you know what you guys could talk about? You could talk about, um, like, ancient sport, you know? Um, like, oh, like the Greeks and the Colosseum and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, we've spoken a little bit about that. Yeah? Yeah. That'd be fun. Mm. All right, question number four. During the crucial Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Finals, Toronto Maple Leafs' Bobby Bourne had to be stretched off the ice after being badly injured. Later, when the game went into overtime, he turned to the ice, he turned to the ice to score the winning goal. What injury did he sustain? Was it A, another ACL, B, a broken leg, or C, concussion? The answer is B, a broken leg. X. Mm. He scored the goal while playing on one leg. Bless my soul. <sighs> wow. Question number five. I think this is the last one. Mm-hmm. In which Olympic Games did Japanese gymnast Shun Fu- Fujimoto break mm-hmm. his kneecap while doing his floor routine, then refuse to give up? And go and inspire his team to win the team gold medal performing flawless routines um, on the pommel horse and the rings. Was it A, the 1976 Montreal, B, 1972 in Munich, Munich? Yep. Sorry. I knew how to say that. I just, it, it looks like it should be said Munich. Anyways. Our, well, they call it Munchen, don't they? Munchen, they do. In German, that's what... Catherine told us last week. Yeah. Yeah. And C, um, was it 1964 in Tokyo? The answer is 1976 Montreal. He had to be helped to the rings before performing and then scored a personal best 9.7 while dismounting from the rings. He then caused further injury to his knee by dislocating it and tearing ligaments in the leg. He would have been in so much pain. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Mm. Well, I guess, yeah, adrenaline will get you to do anything, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Especially, like, it's um, it's the Olympics, so, like, so many people will be watching. That's right. Okay. This week's... Who am oh, where I? Am I? <laughs> nah, who am I? We're back to it. Who am I? I said, where am I? I don't think we've ever had a where am yeah. I. Where is he, guys? We can't find Michael we had Jordan. Where am I a few weeks back? Really? Mm. Oh, yeah, when we were doing... Um, oh, I forgot what we did. 
Yeah, it might have been a stadium or something. Or, yeah, because yeah. we did. Yeah, I think it was. That's Anyways, nice. got heaps for this one. So, I was born in 1964, and I am a former Australian rules footballer who played for several clubs in the AFL. According to Wikipedia, I was one of the key members of Hawthorne's era of dominance in the 1980s, helping win premierships in 1983, 1986, 1988, 1999, and 1991. While severely, which severely impacted me in later years. During the first quarter of the 1989 grand final against Geelong, considered by, by many to be the best grand final ever, I sustained broken ribs and a bruised kidney. How does one even do that? Which caused internal bleeding, <laughs> bleeding after being deliberately hit by Marquise. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> I was attended to by trainers lost all color in my face becoming gray and began vomiting do not tell me that he just kept playing after this oh yeah it's a grand final i don't care you're dying (laughs) i couldn't let my teammates down and dragged myself to my feet and minutes later i mocked um and kicked an inspirational goal that would finish the match with three goals helping my team win a classic by just one goal. Fellow teammate... Oh, my God, that is such a last name. Oh, I better help you with that one. Robert Dipper Domenico, or just call him Dipper. If you say Dipper, they'll know who it is, won't they, Glenn? You guys all know who it is. It's fine. Except Um, for those overseas. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Anyone in Australia would know who he is. For those that aren't in Australia, he was a legendary... um, AFL player, will be AFL player, and he's got. Well, he, he's got a big, big moustache. He's got a big guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'd probably recognise him it, if it, I had it, like a photo. He's been on some commercials. Yeah, so you would have seen him. Him somehow, somewhere. Well, Robert Dipper Domenico. Let's see. Thank yep. you. Also sustained broken ribs and a punctured lung during the brutal first quarter. These people, oh my gosh. I was inducted into an Australian Football Hall of Fame in 1999 and in retirement I have become a respected member of the Australian football media, working for various TV and radio stations covering the AFL as a commentator and analyst. My nickname is Demi. My name is... Which will be revealed at the end of this episode. Yes, it will. Do you want to hear some more torture now? Stay around for some more torture? (laughs) (laughs) I know what's worse, writing the flashcards or this. (laughs) This guy's last name is Youngblood. Youngblood. That's epic. Jack Youngblood. You want to read about him? Sure. Okay. Should we start? Should we start with this guy or just go straight to that and then go back to that? Oh, we'll start with Mr. Jack, I think. All right. Former Australian-American, sorry, footballer who was a 
defensive end for the Los Angeles' Rams in the NFL for 14 seasons during 1970s and 1980s. He was known for his tough play and never missing a game. Youngblood played along, played the whole, I wonder where I got along from, played the whole 1979 playoff series with a fractured fibula and for the Los Angeles Rams and showed true guts, 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 guts. guts. Okay, I'm missing a reference there. And determination to play all the way through, through to the Super Bowl. The Rams would go on and lose the Super Bowl against Pittsburgh. However, Youngblood established himself as an NFL legend and remem- was remembered for his bravery of playing with a broken leg. Why did I sound like a newsreader just then? His bravery was playing. His bravery was playing <laughs> with a broken leg. Mm-hmm. Who else? You want to read about Mr. Emmett Smith? Sure. Emmett Smith with an I and not an E. Um, former American football ju- running back who just before halftime had his shoulder separated. When these are injuries I haven't even heard of. <laughs> In other words, stuffed. Yeah. <laughs> stuffed. Yeah. Ripped apart. Was it dislocated? I think separated means separated, broken. Like, yeah. yeah. No, no. no. I, I knew a guy that used to. He used to bother Muckie's arm out of the, out of, yeah. the, out of the socket, then they mm. get back in. Oh, I can geez. do that. Yeah. I can do that with my with my kneecaps. Yeah. Livy can do that because she got. Ella Stanloss syndrome. I do. Yeah, you want to talk to us about that? Not what really Ella Stanloss syndrome is? Um. Okay. It's not. It's not related to this, but I will. Mm. I will talk anyways. Um. So Ella Stanloss is kind of like the root, or EDS is kind of like the root of everything, and a lot of the time, like, um, you'll see it in like freak shows. You'll see it like on like. Um, like America's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent, people will be like stretching their skin and being like, look at how stretchy my neck is. And um, the thing is like, it kind of manifests differently with everyone, I think. So um, I've got really stretchy skin. My mom's got really doughy skin. And so there's different types. She is classical and I have like the more, I don't know the name of it, but um, that's like, that's like the main one. Basically means that like, I don't know, like your immune system's weaker. You can get injured a lot more. Um, it's just overall not a very good time. Um, mm. But that's kind of like the main, think of it as like a family tree. And then like it has like little children, I guess. And um, children are POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia um, syndrome, which is like you stand up too fast, you feel like you're going to die. Or mm. you like your heart starts beating really fast just out of nowhere and it can like really I don't know like it really impacts your anxiety and I don't know just overall like you can get really you can get you can feel very sick from it it feels like you just have the flu all the time like people will be in hospital for stuff that people with EDS are just dealing with every day but of course like doctors don't really know much about it and people don't know very much about it so it's it's good to kind of have that insight and it's good to yeah Hmm. it's recognized as a chronic illness but i'm nowhere near that bad 
and um, the other one is MCAS, which I'm getting assessed for right now, but we don't know if I have it yet. And here's a lady who's got it, Al Al Alyssa Seely. Yeah. She's an Olymp American para triathlete who won a gold medal in the P P T two women's triathlon at the 2016 Summer Paralympics. Cool. Yeah. But I was saying here, there's uh, 13 different types. Yep. 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 Of it, one out of every 5,000 people mm -hmm. have EDS. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, thanks for educating us about that, Libby. You're welcome. It's great you know a lot about it. I, yeah. feel, like, I feel like I should because I have it. Because when I was told that you had it, I didn't know what it was. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I had to read all about it. Yeah. I do like, um, I do physio exercises for it and stuff. And sometimes I have to like sit out of PE, but hmm. it doesn't like, uh, I'll, I'll stay home from school a lot more than other people just because, um, because of MCAS, you can get, um, flares, which basically affects your allergies or affects your pain levels. So I get like a really tight back, really tight, like neck <coughs> muscles kind of area, shoulders. So what I was looking for. And um, I'll just get like really overall like fatigued. Like I feel like it's my last day on earth. I'm about to die like all the time. And then you'll be fine the next day. Yeah. 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 So, so do you grow out of it? No. 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 It gets, does it get worse with age? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. You never know. Yeah. They might find something. Yeah. Well, the best sports for EDS are, um, so you do Pilates, don't you? Yes, I do. Tai Chi. Anything I don't do Tai Chi. core strength. Yeah. Yeah, top Pilates you do. Use the reformers and, don't you? Yes, I do. And swimming That's can fine. be helpful as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Livy. You're welcome. That's awesome. Telling us all about that. Yeah. No, we did an episode not that long ago about uh, sports people who compete with who compete competed with medical conditions. Really? Yeah, I spoke in depth about a guy called Nathan Charles, who played for the Wallabies, and he has cystic fibrosis. Mm. And he just wow. Well, he was too embarrassed to talk about it for years. Yeah, he hid it from all his coaches and teammates and. Mm. But now, yeah, when he finally came out, now he's like a well-known spokesperson about it. Yeah. Yeah, about the condition. Yeah, he was the first uh, sports person in the world with cystic fibrosis to play a contact sport. There'd be, like, so many risks involved. Mm. Oh, exactly. That's really yeah. inspiring. Mm. Rightio. Yeah. You want to talk about this bloke, Emmett Smith? NFs and I was reading I was reading the thing and I was about okay, whatever. Oh, no, no, no. Former foot former American football running back. <laughs> I can't speak. I can't speak. Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah, running back who just before half time 
Had his shoulder separated. That's what we were up to, oh, weren't yeah. we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He might have had EDS. <laughs> playing. And playing for the Dallas Cowboys against the New York Giants in 1993. It was a game the Cowboys had to win in order to clinch the NFC East title. Smith was in excruciating pain. However, refused to come off the field and finish the game with an impressive 229 total yards. Whoa. Including 168 rushing yards. So that what they mean by that is yards he gained while carrying the ball. So you imagine doing that with a busted shoulder. While carrying a ball <laughs> and running. Yeah, so he did that to help the Cowboys clinch the NFC crown. Mm. And he was able to do all of this even though he could not carry the ball in his right hand or reach out for a for a pass or even pick himself up off the ground. And he still managed to do all of that. Yeah. Dude. And then there's this bloke, Kirk Gibson. Now he's a former American major league baseballer. Mm. Now during the nineteen eighty eight World Series, when playing for the Los Angeles Dodgers against the Oakland Athletics, Gibson was as sick as a dog with a stomach virus. And he wasn't expected to play. He also had injuries to both his legs. Both of them? Yep. So he was in all sorts of bother. (laughs) So suddenly with the game delicately poised in the ninth innings with the Dodgers behind four runs to three, Gibson approached his coach, Tommy Lasorda, and informed him he could bat for him if he needed him. This is the makings of a movie, isn't it? This is a movie. Yeah. Now, Gibson was called off the bench to make his first and only World Series appearance as a pinch hitter. What's that? So that's, uh, they come on and, you know, just their aim is to hit a home run. Yeah. Pretty sure that's what it means. I know nothing about baseball. I'm not a baseball baseball man, but, yeah, that's their main role. Yep. They try and get them out of trouble and win the game with a homer. Now, he limped to the home plate and was up against one of the most dominating closers to a game, pitcher Dennis Eckersley. I've heard that name. Now, Gibson appeared to have no chance at all, and then all of a sudden, in what appeared to be a swing with one arm, he launched the ball over the right field fence, hitting a home run. You're right, this is a movie. It has like a climax (laughs) and everything. This is great. He encounters a problem, he gets over it, there's like a climax, there's a problem. This is, this is great. Yep. There's got to be a movie about this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gibson hobbled painfully around the bases and the crowd went wild. Woo! <laughs> yeah! And so did the commentators. Yeah! That was I me being don't believe it. Pitch me. I am dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> His home run would win the game for the Dodgers, five runs to four, and then they'd go on to win the World Series, 4-1. Yeah, got another baseballer here, Kurt Schilling. Is that all the information we have about him? He's a former American American Major League baseball pitcher. Mm. I reckon they would have made a movie about this one too. Now, during Game 1 of the American League Championship in 2004, Schilling tore his, tore his tendon sheath in his ankle. I don't Ouch. know what that is. 
Now, doctors found a way to keep the tendon in place with a series of stitches, and he came back for game six. So while pitching for the Boston Red Sox against the New York Yankees, blood began to, began to soak up in his sock <laughs> from the sutures put in place to protect the tendon in the ankle. Now, despite being in constant pain, he dealt with the pain from pushing off on his ankle to pitch. Now, Schilling managed to throw seven great innings, mm. giving up just one run, one four hits, and striking out four batters, all with a bloodied sock and on one leg. His sock was placed into the Hall of Fame afterwards. His bloody sock! (laughs) (laughs) When Boston went on to defeat the St. Louis Cardinals to win the World Series. Imagine your friend calls you and is just like, dude, your bloodied sock is in a museum. You might want to pick it up. (laughs) (laughs) Now we've got a Herculean lady now. Yeah. Now Gillian Rolton. Now she's a former Australian equestrian champion. Who displayed incredible courage and determination at the 1996 Atlanta Olympics, riding her horse Peppermint Grove? Gosh, you got you got to have courage to even just sit on a horse. I'd be too scared to do that. Now, while performing in the team event, Peppermint Grove skidded and fell at high speed, with Rolton crashing heavily to the ground, fracturing fracturing two ribs. And a collarbone. Now, filled with adrenaline, she remounted Pe- Peppermint Grove and rode on with reduced mobility in her left arm. She then les- lost her seat over a difficult water jump and somersaulted into the water. She did what now? Yep. Was she okay? <laughs> now, the Australian team had a tentative hold on the gold medal position and Rolton was determined not to let the team down. She galloped for another three kilometres. And according to Michael Roberts in the book, Great Australian Sporting Moments, she cleared 15 more fences to complete the course. Now, Rolton was then taken by ambulance to hospital where she Hmm. refused painkillers in case she was needed for the team jumping the next day. Oh, I would have been taking the painkillers, would you? Yeah. Now, thankfully, she wasn't needed and her courage inspired her teammates to Olympic team goal. Now, Rolton sadly passed away in 2017 at 61 years of age. In January 2018, she was, now how do you say that word? Post- Posthumorously. You know what that means? Um, after the fact and then funny. So... Yeah, after was, they've passed away, they get an award. Why yeah. Why is humorously put in there, then? I don't know. That's a good question. Humorously? It sounds mm. like, um, yeah. Mm. So she was made a, a member of the Order of Australia for mm. her significant services to horse sports. Now, Joe Montana. I've heard of them. Yeah, very, very well-known former American football player. Now... On New Year's Day in 1979, the Cotton Bowl game took place on a freezing cold day after the worst ice storm Dallas had ever experienced in 30 years. Now, apparently, there was like 50,000 homes without power 
Oh and gosh. yeah, it was, the storm was so bad that it snapped tree limbs everywhere. So it was huge. Now the quarterback legend was fighting the effects of the flu. However, he refused to give up and led his team, Notre Dame, to a great comeback win after trailing 34 points to 12 against Houston. They Houston. went on to win. Yep. Yeah, it's, a, it's famous for the uh, moon landing, isn't it? Houston, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. Oh, I've got my chair back. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, so, um, yeah, they went on. This is uh, the college football. So college football's huge in America. Yeah, because when I look Notre Dame, I'm thinking they're not a um, NFL team. But, no, then I realised, oh, that's right. Yeah, they're a, they're a college team over there. Yeah. Yeah, so Montana barely made it onto the field for the second half due to suffering from hypothermia and was covered in blankets and fed chicken soup to try and raise his body temperature. <laughs> yeah, hypo, hypothermia. That's what I get when I'm at the recovery centre <laughs> in those cold pools after half an hour. <laughs> right. Thanks, Livy. You are welcome. You want to hang around and hear about this lady? I got it. She's a gymnast. Where are they now? Oh, okay. <laughs> Her name's Kerry Strug. Kerry Strug. She's a former American gymnast. Yeah, and what she did was Herculean at the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. I can't wait for this episode. <laughs> Herculean. Right, so Kerry Strug. So we're going back to the world of gymnastics this week. I think Nadi Komanichi was probably our one and only gymnast. So she was born November the 19th, 1977 in Tuscan, Arizona and is a former American gymnast. Now she stands at only 4 foot 8 inches. So she's a pocket rocket. And she was a member of the Magnificent Seven. The 1996 U.S. Olympic women's gymnastics team that won the first ever gold medal for the U.S. in the women's team competition. Now, it was a heroic act from Strug that enabled the team to clinch the gold medal. Now, Strug is Jewish and is the daughter of Melanie Barron and Dr. Bert Strug, a cardiovascular surgeon. Now, her sister Lisa was also a competitive gymnast and so was her brother. Now, Strug began training in gymnastics at just three years of age and began competing at gymnastics at eight years of age. And she was trained by American coach Jim Galt. And at 13 years of age, she moved to Houston in Texas to be trained. Now, we spoke about this man in the episode on uh, Nadia Comaneci, Bella uh, Carolli. Yeah, do you remember him? Yeah, he's the man who trained the former Where Are They Now? Nadia Comaneci in Romania. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he was the main reason behind her success. Yeah. But when you look at these gymnasts at the Olympics, the the the, the, um, the females, they just look like little girls. Yeah. 
It's amazing. They start at such a young age. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but they retire pretty early. Just, you know, from the rigours of competition and training. Yeah. So she joined the US team at just 14 years of age and was part of the team that picked up the bronze medal at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. And Strug then moved to Edmond, Oklahoma, to be trained by Steve Nunno at the Dynamo Gymnastics Club. Now, Strug struggled with severe weight loss and sustained a serious stomach injury. And then she came third at the 1993 Nationals in the all-round competition, second on the uneven bars, and then third on the floor exercise. And after this, Strug returned home to Tuscan, Arizona, and was trained by Arthur Akopian. Now, he's an Armenian-American gymnastics coach who was an athlete. Now, he was the first man to do what they call the Sukara double twist on the vault. Now, he got three scores of 10 at the 1981 World Championships. Yeah, so she was also assisted by Jim Galt, her original coach, when she started training for the sport at just three years of age. Now, in 1994, Strug was badly injured while performing on the uneven bars. And she lost control and flew off the high bar backwards, landing in a twisted position on her side, injuring her back. Ouch. Now, the injury required extensive rehabilitation, and she recovered in time for the World Championships that year. Now, in 1995, Strug graduated from Greenfield's Country Day School in Tuscan. She then left home again and trained at Ariel's Gymnastics in Colorado Springs with Tom and Laurie Foster. And later that year at the US Nationals, she placed fifth in the all-round and came third in the uneven bars. Now, one which she this is the one in which she had the uh, bad accident in. So she would have had a fear of that. Have you ever had experience like that where you've had an accident and you feared doing it again? No. Yeah? Not, not like, like in a car accident or... No. Yeah, you just got back on the horse and rode it? Yeah. <coughs> one of my early bikes, I uh, had a sidecar on it. Yeah. And uh, <coughs> a guy was racing me. And he swerved to miss a hole in the paddock. Mm. He swerved towards me. I swerved away and the bike rolled, came, the bike fell. The, um, it, you can still see it now. Oh, okay. I've I got a third degree burn. Ouch. And, and, the, and the peg of the, the, the peg, the metal in the peg. Stuck into my foot. Mm, put a hole in it, but no, that didn't. I, I, it took a while to get that fixed, but I got back up on the bike and done it again. Yeah. Just keep going. That seems to be the best way to handle things, yeah, do yeah, you think? Yeah. Just because uh, yeah. the longer you leave it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Psychologically, it's going to be harder, isn't it? That's right. Well, this is what's happened to, um, you know, I could name some cricketers like some bowlers who were quite handy batsmen down the lower order, yeah. like Craig McDermott and Stuart Broad. 
Um, yeah, just from copping a bouncer and getting struck on the head. Yeah, yeah it greatly affected their confidence with their batting. Yeah. yeah. It took them quite a long time to get their confidence back. Yeah. Yep. Now, at the 1995 World Championships, Strug was a member of the US team that collected a bronze medal and she finished seventh in the all-round competition. Now, this involves the vault, the uneven bars, the balance beam, the floor exercise, and combined exercises, which combines the scores of the other four events. Now, at the end of the 1995 um, World Champion... No, it was at the end of 1995, sorry. Now, Strug moved back to Houston to train with uh, Corelli again in order to prepare for the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. So she's travelling around a lot, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> Here, there and everywhere. And she seems to always end up back where she started. Now, she excelled at the 1996 American Cup where she won the all-round competition. And then she placed first on the floor exercises and the balance beam and second on the vault and in the floor routine. Now, this is her Herculean performance. <laughs> At the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. Now, Strug qualified first on the floor routine and after the compulsories, so what the what this is, the pre-choreographed series of skills each competitor must perform. So they're made up of core skills required for each event. Now, she was ninth overall. Now, Strug placed high enough to qualify for the all-around now, the all-around, remember, they're the four gymnastic events. Now, she was fourth highest on the vault, which qualified her for the event finals in her two strongest events, Now, with the vault being one of them. Now, the team competition had been dominated by the Soviet Union for decades, and the United States had never claimed the team gold medal. The Russians came into the team competition with a very narrow lead, and it all came down to the final rotation on the final day of that team competition, with the Americans by then holding a very narrow lead. So it was only 0.897, their lead over the Russians and the Romanians. Now, the rotations, now that's the name given for the circular motion around an axis of the body. And there are two types of rotations. You heard of these ones, the salto? And the tw and the, the twisting, yeah, yeah. So there's a salto and the twist. Now the salto is starting on your feet, flipping your body around, and then landing back on your feet. Wow. <laughs> right. So here we go. Don't touch the beam. Don't touch the vault. Don't you go anywhere. <laughs> Strug was scheduled to perform her vault on the horse and the pressure was on. She was a vault specialist. However, on her first attempt, she landed badly and snap, injured her left ankle. So she tore two tendons in her ankle. Yeah. Now, according to Olympics.com, Strug was unsure if she could make another vault. And after leading the entire night, the US team was at risk of losing to Russia. And Strug needed a second vault score of 9.762 to mathematically claim the gold medal. 
Now, in between the time interval, between Strug's two vaults, she discussed the situation with her coaches. Bera Caroli, who was now part of the coaching team for the US, said to Strug, quote, Kerry, we need you to go one more time. We need you one more time for the gold. You can do it. You better do it. End of quote. Strug then made the brave decision to attempt the second vault. She limped to the end of the runway with her badly injured ankle and, in intense pain, Strug ran down towards the vault, landed, hopped slightly on her uninjured leg, saluted the judges and performed a clean vault, scoring 9.712. And this was enough to clinch the gold medal for the US. The Americans had finally won their first gold medal in the team event, thanks to Strug and the rest of the Magnificent Seven. Now, it was discovered later that even without Strug taking the final vault, the US still would have won the competition (laughs) by 0.309 points. So the rest of the American team made the decision that they would not walk out to the medal ceremony without Strug. So Barack Caroli carried Strug onto the medals podium to join her teammates. Strug then went to hospital and was treated for third-degree lateral sprain and tendon damage. Now, due to her injury, Strug was unable to compete in the individual all-round competition and event finals, which she had qualified for before sustaining the injury. And Strug became a national hero for her courageous act. She visited the US president at the time, Bill Clinton, and appeared on various television talk shows. She also made the cover of Sports Illustrated and appeared on a wheaty cereal box with her teammates. Gee, you know you've made it when you've done that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, ESPN's This Is Sports Centre ad campaign featured uh, two good-humoured ads featuring ESPN workers carrying Strug around. Now, when she recovered from her injury, she participated in participated in travelling ice skating shows such as Ice Capades and Disney's World on Ice and then announced her retirement from gymnastics competition. Now, she also had a cameo role on the popular TV show. Now, you might remember this show, Glenn. Beverly Hills 90210. Did you used to watch that? No. Oh, okay. No. No. That was huge in the 90s. Yeah, I know, but yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I used to watch it sometimes for other things. <laughs> the candy, the eye candy. Yeah. Now, yeah. yeah. she then enrolled in the University of California and spent some time as a gymnastics team manager. She then earned a master's degree in social psychology and in 2000 took part in a semester at sea. Do you know what that is? Yeah, so it's a study abroad program conducted on a cruise ship which travels around the world visiting 10 to 11 countries in Asia, Africa, Europe, South America and North America. Gee, that'd be all right. Now, also that year, Strug was inducted into the International Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. And then what she did then, she worked as an elementary school teacher in San Jose, California, 
and in 2003 moved to Washington, D.C., where she worked as a staff assistant with the White House Office of Presidential Student Correspondence. She then moved to a job at the General Council in the Treasury Department, and in March 2005 joined the Justice Department's Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention Staff. So, yeah, she went and worked in the in the White House. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so she's certainly achieved a lot. Now, Strug became interested in running and competed in the Houston, New York, Boston and Chicago marathons. Now, at the 2004 Athens Olympics, uh, Strug was a correspondent for Yahoo in artistic gymnastics. And in 2008, she appeared in a television commercial for the Zaxby's restaurant chain. That's probably like Sizzler. Yeah. And for the Go World campaign, where her heroic act at the 1996 Olympics was featured and narrated by Morgan Freeman. Now, Strug also served as a spokesperson for the Special Olympics and the Children's Miracle Network. So let's see what Kerry Strug's doing today. She's now 45 years of age. She married attorney Robert Fisher in 2010 and the couple have a son and daughter. Now, the family live in Washington, D.C. Now, she's now involved in the community through working with parents, kids and coaches throughout the U.S. at various gymnastics camps and clubs. And she's also authored two books. Now, the question must be asked, would Kerry Strug's heroic vault have taken place today? Now, especially when one thinks about a world where physically and mentally abusive coaches are being charged. Yeah, what do you think? Well, it got the result at the time, didn't it? Yeah. Mm. Now, 1996 was a time when things were different in regard to coaching young athletes. It was a time when society and a Bella Caroli type of coach would pressure a vulnerable teenager on the world stage to push through a serious injury. Now, when Strug reflects back on that famous moment at the 1996 Olympics, she admits that she was looking for advice from her coach, her mentor at, the, at that crucial moment just after her injury from the first vault. Now, she said in gymnasticsnow.com, quote, after all those years of training and coaching and hard work, that's all he could say. No advice on technique. Just you can do it. Now, she is humble in regard to her heroic feat. And she says, quote, As I started running toward the vault, my ankle felt displaced and unstable. I remember thinking I was going to trip and fall on my face. I don't remember the vault itself, but when I landed... I didn't think I'd done anything special. I was supposed to land the vault. Anything else would have been unacceptable. End of quote. Remember Rick Disneck? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Running <laughs> smash bang into the vault. Yeah. Got to take a lot of courage to do it. Now, Strug believes, though, that the vault changed her life for the better. And she was shown in Murray Claire magazine's 
the eight greatest moments for women in sports. And that's a story of Kerry Strug. Yeah. Yeah. So who's our who am I? Dermot Brereton. Dermot Brereton. That's it. Yeah. I've got an interesting fact. Yeah, what's that? Do you know why the Sydney Harbour Bridge is painted grey? No. Because the, the, when that, the bridge was being built, there was a major paint shortage. Yeah. And grey was the only available colour. Really? Yeah. Gosh. Is that right? Yeah. I know that it was um, built to... It was only built to last 100 years. Yeah. Yeah, and it's coming up to 100 years. Yeah. Well, you know, 91 years ago. Yeah. So what are they going to do when it comes to yeah. 100 years? Are they just going to let it go? Or? <laughs> <laughs> or pull the thing down like they do with the stadiums here and rebuild them? Yeah. It'll be a big job. It'll be a big, it'll be a big um, disruption. Yeah. They'd have to be putting other tunnels in and yeah, doing it. Mm. A lot of other major works before they pulled it down. But I don't think they, I don't think they would. No, I don't think they will yeah, either. They, they, they'll probably replace it bit by bit. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, the painters work there full time. So mm. by the time they get start from one end and finish the other... They gotta go back to the beginning and start again. Yeah, so. Paul Hogan. He was a painter on the Harbour Bridge, wasn't he? He was a rigger. Oh, a rigger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Righty, eh? So you got a joke for this week? Okay. Let's end the episode with a joke. Come on, Glenn, make us laugh. <laughs> There's two guys out on the Hope Island golf course. Yeah. Having around the golf, and one of them's carrying his long attache case while they're playing golf. And the other guy goes, What's in the case? After a few hours, he says, Oh, that's my tools of the trade. He goes, Oh, what do you mean? I'm, I'm, a, yeah, I'm an assassin. I, I get rid of people. And he goes, oh, bullshit, bullshit, mate. No, you're not. He said, yeah, it's true. Look, I'll even show you. So he puts down the case, opens up the case, pulls the gun out, clicks it all together, and says, yeah, have a feel, have a look. And so the, the guy who grabs the gun and he's feeling the gun, oh, yeah, yeah this is good, and looks for the, the, the scope on the, on the, the gun. And he's looking at it and he goes, well, I can even see my house from here. And he goes, oh, I can even see into my bedroom. <laughs> oh, what's that? That's that, but that's that freak from next door with, with my wife in the bedroom. So he turns to the, the, the other guy that's a sniper and says, how much you charge? And he goes, $5,000 a bullet, that's my price. And that, he says, radio. I want you to, I want two bullets. I want, I want you to take my wife out and shoot the other guy straight between the nuts. So then he goes, okay. 
So the the snowpickets are going back, and he's he's like trying to aim it up, and he's all over the place. <laughs> and he goes, the other goes, the the other guy goes, what 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 what's happening? What's wrong? And the, and the sniper said, I'm trying to save you five grand. <laughs> <laughs> if you know if you know what I mean. Uh. Yeah. Righty, oh, so next episode, now we are talking about it earlier today, the great demise of the Australian Wallabies and their and the cricket team as well, especially in World Cups. Yeah, we're going to talk about some sporting slumps. So those sports people and teams that dramatically fell from grace. Yeah. But we'll also be looking at, I'll be giving some advice on how to get out of sporting slumps because yeah. they're not fun when you're in them. Yeah. 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 It can be a long way back. And sometimes, especially with golfers, they never make their way back. It affects yeah. them that much. Yeah. yeah. And tennis players. Yeah. Well, that's it. You know, like most of um, sport, I believe, at that professional level is all on the head. Yeah. yeah. The mentally strong ones that come out on top the most. Yeah. yeah. Rightio. So thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sports Shack. So all sources for this episode are on the platform page. So it's a goodbye from Paul. It's a goodbye from Glenn. Goodbye. G'day. It's me again. Please check out the Sporting Shack on Facebook if you like this for posts and other likes and shares. Have a great sporting week. Please check out Gold Studio Productions on Facebook. Until next time.